You are tired of average. You want more out of life. You know you're capable of something greater. This show will help you become resilient in your home, at work, and in your community. Welcome to the Resilient Humans Podcast with your host, Kevin Wood. I'd like to introduce Ed King as one of my uh, friends that I believe is a truly resilient human. Ed's uh, 31 years old. He's living in uh, Western Canada. He started with me at CrossFit Moncton all the way back in 2008. That is a long time ago. Back then, we were just uh, working out in a playground. I remember back then I was driving around scoping out the different playgrounds and I was like, which ones have the coolest monkey bars for (laughs) pull-ups? So I found, I found Queenie school. I was like, they got a lot of pull-up bars there. They have some like benches for box jumps. And then sure enough, who's this Ed King guy? He's coming in guns blaring and he ripped it up back then and he's still doing it to, to this day. So welcome to the podcast, Ed. Thanks. I appreciate it. I'm really glad to be here and, and I'm glad to catch up with you too. It's been a while. It has um, been a long time. Yeah. Yeah. I, I remember, so I have a couple vivid memories from that park. I actually started dabbling in CrossFit in the uh, Riverview High School gym. I just found it online and for some reason thought that I could do it. And uh, I remember when you had your, I think I met you at Cape and Rage briefly. Possibly, yeah. 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 I worked there yeah. for a while. Yeah. We crossed paths. And, uh, somebody had mentioned you were opening up a CrossFit gym and I was like, what? And so as soon as I saw you had like that, a first official like workout that you held, I think a few people came down from Fredericton. Um, I remember finishing like dead last in that workout. There were a lot of wall balls in that workout. Yeah, there was. <laughs> yeah. Cause it was like a, it was a hopper, wasn't it? Yeah. It was Jeanette and I just pulled random exercises yeah, out yeah. of the bin. That's how the hopper event was born was because from that first, first day. Yeah. I mean, there was yeah. backwards running. Yeah. Um, there's dips. Dips. Uh, there's only like 10 though. <laughs> yeah. It was like 10 dips. Yeah. yeah. It was like box jumps, wall balls, med ball cleans, uh, yeah. I think kettlebell swing or dumbbell swings. Yeah. Yeah. I remember getting like super humbled because my only experience before that was like just consuming all the information online on CrossFit, like the journal and all that stuff. And then finally showing up to a place where other people are doing it and then realizing I am not at good at this at all <laughs> and uh, very, very humbling. And then I remember the first time I did Fran was in the park and I biked to the workout <laughs> and I remember biking home and like, I opened up my hands, like every single one of them was like torn open and biking home with like open hands and it started raining. And I was like, okay, I love this. <laughs> I have a picture. We took a picture of your hands after that I think so. Yeah, on the website. Everybody just had their hands open. They're like, Oh boy, mm-hmm. we don't post those pictures anymore. <laughs> no, no. That was like the old school, uh, a badge of honor, I guess. CrossFit's definitely changed uh, a lot since then. Um, mm-hmm. Back then, it was almost like a, a rite of passage to be, you know, indoctrinated to, you know, you rip your hands and you're in the cool kids club. Yeah. It's definitely yeah. not that today, for sure. Yeah. Or meet Pukey the Clown, I guess. Yeah. Like we used to have a wall at the gym where you would sign it. If you pu- puked, you signed Pukey's wall. Yeah. We carried that with us like through three gyms, I think. And then we're like, is this really inviting? 
this is really what people are looking for when they walk into a gym for the first time. Mm -hmm. So, you know, stupid mistakes when, when you're first starting out, but lessons learned Mm -hmm. again, it's not our goal to make people puke. And oftentimes it was a result of poor nutrition the, the night before they showed up for their first class, but Mm-hmm. You know, lessons learned on both sides. Yeah. They're just not used to that kind of intensity. They don't, they're not used to getting the signals from their body to be like, Hey, you should pump the brakes right now. And they just kind of push through that barrier in a group environment. And then all of a sudden it's just like, I can't buffer this acid. Something's got to go. But and uh, same thing with my first, first, I did the filthy fifties first time yeah. ever came out guns blaring. I didn't even make it halfway through and I had to pull the plug. Like, I was mm-hmm. like, I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> this is insane. How do people yeah. do this every day? <laughs> I, I couldn't even do it. I couldn't even do one workout on one day. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So give me a little background. I, we kind of know that you had your kind of your CrossFit start here in Moncton and you left here in uh, December of 2011. Where did that take you? Where did you go from there? Uh, well, I mean, I, I guess I went off to university there for a little bit and then I had come back in the summers to train with you guys, but then, um, I ended up uh, stopping university for a while and training with you guys kind of a little bit more and then decided to join the military. And so um, I got shipped off kind of all over the place. I went to Quebec and did some basic training there. Um, I signed up as a, uh, as a military medic. So that was a lot of fun. And I ended up landing here in, uh, in Edmonton. They posted me here and I kind of, you know, kept doing CrossFit the whole way through. And, um, I remember being really nervous for basic training and like wondering if I was going to be fit enough because like my origin is I was not a fit person growing up at all. I was like a video game nerd, grew my hair down past my eyes, like didn't want anybody to see me, lots of social anxiety, which is funny because like, I feel like CrossFit really helped me come out of my shell probably too much. Like I swung way too far one way, overly energetic, kind of the guy who's like yelling in the gym, the 17 year old, and then uh, finally found some medium ground there, but yeah, uh, ended up showing a basic training and, and, uh, was way fitter than I expected. So CrossFit definitely worked. I remember back in the day, we made some, uh, a video series called the dead ed series. (laughs) Yes, I do remember that. Yeah. It was like gym rules, right? Yeah. 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 So it was like when you were unloading plates from the bar, you make sure that you unload them evenly and not all on one side. And we would (laughs) be like, okay, now lay on the ground. We're going to put a 45 pound plate on your head and just stay there. And you're like, yeah, okay. Yeah. That 17 year old Ed would do anything that we asked him to do. Oh yeah. You you had no shame back then. So it was great. I loved being challenged too. I remember there was a time where it was like, I think I was showing up late for class way too consistently in the mornings. And so you would just make me run with a med ball and do burpees <laughs> until I figured it out. Yeah. yeah. I remember that. It worked. I, I ate that stuff. Out. Yeah. Um, so you're not still in the military. I'm not. No. So what happened no. after that? Um, so the military was, was great, but I think I was too young to appreciate some of it. Um, I ended up joining the military because, so I went to university I was really interested in biology and uh, found out very quickly that I was not interested in jellyfish. <laughs> um, so I was like, maybe it's human biology. And, and uh, so I was looking at possibly like, Hey, should I be a nurse or a doctor or whatever? 
my dad was like, we should just join the military as a medic, get them to pay for your schooling and then see if you like the field. So he kind of said it tongue in cheek because he didn't think I would do very well in the military. I was kind of a messy kid and a little disorganized. And by a little, I mean a lot. And uh, as soon as he challenged me to that and told me that it was like game over. Um, Cause I liked, I liked being challenged back then. So um, ended up getting shipped out here. And I remember vividly <laughs> arriving here in Edmonton um, when I initially went to the military, I was like, oh, this is going to be a switched on organization. I was like really romanticized, like, you know, this organization has been around for so long and I'm going to learn so much from it. It's going to give me a bunch of discipline, which it did. But everywhere I went, it was just a gong show. Like it wasn't what I thought it was going to be. There's definitely some politics and stuff like that. And military is a great place, but it definitely ended up not being for me in the long run. But I remember when I ended up in Edmonton, um, I like showed up and I was told to report to my master corporal and I like walked in and she was sitting there with her head in her hands. And she said, I can't believe I've been doing this for 10 years. <laughs> and I was like, master corporal, I'm here. <laughs> and so that kind of got my wheel spinning early on. Like maybe this isn't the place that I want to be, uh, long-term, but, um, I kind of stuck it out for my first contract. So about five years. And, um, I was looking for what I wanted to do. And, and the thing that stayed consistent with me long-term was just like, I loved working out. And I was the weirdo, even in the military that was like working out more than everybody else and helping people with workouts and helping people with nutrition. And it was just something that I felt really called to. Um, and so it got to a point where I was like, I guess I'm just going to give this a shot. Like I have no idea like really what to do, but I'm just going to go off and try to do this. And the plan was to, uh, my buddy had a little garage gym and I was going to start training people in the garage gym. Um, so I was starting to get my certifications and, uh, I remember going off to a CrossFit gymnastic certification, which I wasn't technically allowed to go to. You needed like special permission to get away, um, from the base. And so I snuck out, went to do it. And I met a guy who owns a gym here in Edmonton. And at the end of the cert, um, I was pretty extroverted in the cert. I remember at the end of the cert, he came up to me. He's like, Hey, like, where do you work? I was like, nowhere technically. And he said, you want to be a full-time coach at my gym? And I was out of nowhere, very serendipitous. And, uh, I said, well, let's talk about it. And, you know, within a week or two, I was coaching full-time. So it was pretty cool. Big jump. Yeah. Big jump, big jump. And originally when I made the jump to coach, it wasn't from a place of wanting to coach. It was from a place of wanting to be an athlete. If that makes sense. You know, the, the mistake that a lot of coaches make early on where it's like, yeah. I want to be an athlete. So I'm going to coach so I can live in the gym. Basically. How old were you then? I would have been, oh God. I'm really bad with dates and numbers. So I think I would have been very early twenties. So I would have been maybe 22 or 23. Okay. Yeah. 20. Yeah. That makes sense. Based right. on when you left here, cause mm -hmm. you were five years out of the, or five years in the military at that point. So four or five, somewhere around okay. there. Yeah. So yeah. that's, yeah, that's, that's kind of what I've noticed as well is that's about the age where it's like, uh, why, what are the reasons for kind of jumping into that? that space or that field, right? Mm -hmm. When did that change for you? 
Um, so look, look, I've, I've followed you on social media since forever. Right. So I've yeah. kind of, I've seen this evolve and, and, and change over time, but I'd, I'd like to know what it was that exactly triggered that to switch over for you from doing it yeah. for yourself to doing it for others. Yeah. I had to find service. I, I kind of stumbled onto the concept of service. I got really lucky, you know, my whole life, I look back and very, very fortunate to have people in my life that influenced me in a positive way. Like, um, whether that's, you know, you, the folks from, um, Cape and Rage, the Fogarty's, um, which I, I believe, you know, and, um, a lot of my high school teachers, Tim Beatty was, was great. Um, and I think they all, I remember, <laughs> I actually remember failing, uh, physics in high school. I knew I failed and I got my report card and I saw a pass just a pass. And I, I, I went to Mr. Fogarty and I asked him and he's like, Hey, look, man, you're not going to be like in physics, but you're going to do something good. And I was like, Whoa, that, where did that come from? And so he didn't want to hold me back in any way. So that was really nice of him. But um, I'm very fortunate to be surrounded with a lot of people. And, and I happened to bump into somebody. So I was coaching and I was really enjoying coaching. Um, but all of my training was coming from a place of I wasn't enough. And I didn't realize that my main drive to be an athlete was always from this place of needing to prove myself. Um, and it was really this journey of self-acceptance. So it was, it was really interesting. You know, I was getting really fit and I was training a lot. Um, but it was almost like I would punish myself because nothing was ever good enough. So it doesn't matter how much heavier my back squat got or how much better my technique was or how much fitter I got. Um, all of my decisions were informed from that, that negative place of, I don't like myself. I need to be better and just chasing validation in some way. And eventually, so you can make some progress when you work from that energy, but eventually it's, it's twisting and it makes you start having some bad decisions and not feeding myself enough. I remember uh, denying myself meals because I didn't execute the way I wanted to on workouts. And, uh, and I remember um, just being very, very negative to myself all the time and just kind of being a storm cloud. And uh, I had a, a buddy of mine who saw, I think, some potential in me, I guess. And, uh, he actually helped me with a lot of different stuff, he opened my mind up to a bunch of different things, showed me personality science, which I found was actually very helpful. Like I always, I thought a lot of people were different than I was, but I didn't realize how different we all were from each other. Um, but I had kind of, uh, an ego death moment, which I was able to see myself um, for the first time. And it's kind of a funny moment. <laughs> I'll share it, <laughs> but it's, um, you know, back then I was definitely more chaotic and I would just jump into situations like whatever, like nothing bad can happen. I didn't have a lot of, uh, life experience. And, uh, uh, a friend of mine asked me to go to a rave with him. And I was like, Oh, I've never been to a rave. And he was like, you should try some MDMA. I was like, what's that? Sure. <laughs> And I was fortunate enough to have like a very positive experience. And, uh, and um, 
it really like, uh, you know, they're doing a bunch of research with MDMA and, and uh, emotional trauma and PTSD and things like that. I just happened to uh, resolve like a lot of emotional things that I was going through. And for the first time, it was actually a really cool experience because in the gym, in my domain, I felt like I was really good at movement. My identity was surrounded by that. But then when I went to this rave and people were dancing, I had no idea how to dance. And I was very self-conscious. I remember like my ego was like, you should not be here. You need to leave. You're going to embarrass yourself. But it was kind of too late at that point. <laughs> we had already committed to it. And um, I remember having this experience and there was a moment where that all went away. I had that ego death and didn't get my way. And I just started dancing and moving my body and I really enjoyed it. And I realized that that ego was holding me back from enjoying the experience of moving my body where I was playing this comparison game and I didn't need to be playing that comparison game. Nobody cares. Right. And it was all about that validation of, well, if I look silly, then people are going to think I'm silly and then I'm silly and I'm worthless and da da da. Right. And it made me realize that. And then my brain just instantly connected it to my training. And I realized that this thing that I love doing training, I was twisting it from a negative place of ego. And I was like, essentially it was just becoming toxic. And, um, this thing that I loved, I was, I was slowly like building more and more resentment for it. Um, because it was just too attached to my identity of, of who I was. And so that moment I realized, and I was able to see like genuinely helping people in the gym. Um, I was able to connect the dots and see like, oh, there's actually people who get a lot of benefit out of my knowledge and, and helping people. And I realized that I need to do this from a place of service, not from a place of like, so focused on myself, but actually start um, looking outside of myself. And I realized that from a personality standpoint, some of us are just wired to care about ourselves more. And we have to learn how to be in service more. And some people are wired to be way too much in service of others. And they have to learn how to set boundaries and take care of themselves. And it's a spectrum. And that's so a, once you read- That's a really good point. I, I love that you just said that, that that's a spectrum. Man, that you just blew my mind. I'm writing this down. It's crazy. <laughs> Uh, that, that's, yeah, that's something that like, I, um, I realized early on and, and that's, I fell in love with coaching from a psychology standpoint, not necessarily from a movement standpoint. I mean, I love that too. I mean, I think once you teach the air squat 6 million times, you're like, okay, cool. Like what is the deeper thing going on here? And how can I communicate with this person? What motivates this person? Is it security? Is it performance? Is it, and like, those are the spectrums of like, well, what kind of control do you care about? And, you know, where can I be of service to you is what kind of human are you? What experience are you having? What is this operating system? Like this personality that you're experiencing reality with and what do I need to be for you? And, um, that all came from understanding myself first, just like my pattern. I got to understand myself first, and then I got to be in service of others. And so that's, that's kind of been the consistent thing that I always come back to is um, it's okay to be more self-serving as long as you're doing it in the long run to, you know, 
it's like the hero's journey. You go off on your adventure and you have to bring it back and share it with your community. Right. That's the whole point. Yeah. I love that. So my, my first, uh, so that was a lot. Sorry. First off, <laughs> the Fogarty's are actually Mike, Mike senior or Mike, big Mike, the, 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 the old Mike, guy. Yeah. Uh, I had this chat on one of my former podcasts. He was one of my, uh, I guess, core memories in my life that shaped Mm -hmm. who I am today without knowing it at the time. Mm -hmm. And only looking back, do I realize that he was so impactful on my life that it basically, I want to say predetermined what, what I'm doing now. Oh yeah. And it's It sounds like Ian Fogarty had that same effect on you. It kind of lit a fire under your butt to, to kind of do something about it. Uh, Going back to that acts of service, my first inkling of, of that word in practice, in the practical sense, like we've always heard of that, like acts of service, but I actually didn't understand it until I did a CrossFit gymnastics cert with Mm -hmm. Jeff Tucker himself. It was in PEI. And he, he basically, I think he started and ended with this kind of speech about service and how he is a, that's why he does this. He's not in this for the money. He's, he is here to spread, to to give himself to others is really what, what it was. And from that point on, I was like, damn, that's what I'm doing here. I'm, I'm giving my knowledge and experience to others so that they can learn so that they can grow so that they can become more resilient. That's, that's the whole point. But I really love what you said about that spectrum and real life examples. I have somebody that just messaged me the other day that they had, this would be an interesting conversation. I'd like to hear your take on it. Uh, Mm -hmm. It's about the concept of your identity. Mm -hmm. And when, when, an incident happens, it can instantly change your identity mm-hmm. very quickly. Do you think it can happen the other way where I'll give you an example. Let's say, you know, day Friday, you're training regular, and then Monday you have a baby and all of a sudden now you're a parent, boom, instant identity change. Mm-hmm. You're not the same person that you were before. Can you change it quickly going the way back? without an incident happening. So like engineering identity. Yeah. Uh, that's a good question. Honestly, that's, I find myself in that situation right now. And in some ways I feel like that's what I help people with now is intentional identity building. Tell um, me more. Tell me more. <laughs> um, well, you know, identity is such an interesting thing. Um, and I feel like, uh, so being, when I was younger, I was very arrogant. I really thought that I was in control of my faculties and my actions. And uh, I think that experience uh, that I had with the psychedelics, which um, I want to say that I'm definitely not promoting psychedelic use, but um, that one experience that I had made me realize that I am not in control and there's a lot of unconscious things that are going on. And then I found that very quickly in coaching is like, why are people acting in ways that aren't logical or make sense or, 
And you quickly find that it's like, oh, okay. Like I found in myself that I have these belief systems that govern the way that I act through the world. It's like this operating system that I built from my childhood, right? It's, you have these formative memories. You, when you're a kid, you're trying to figure out, well, how does this world work? And so I create these agreements with reality, really great book. Um, uh, the four agreements, like one of my favorite books, which just breaks this down in like a really simple way. But, um, just because you make an agreement or make a, a belief system doesn't mean it's true. It has some degree of truth. Um, so it's, <laughs> you know, objective truth. I, I don't even really think matters. It's more subjective truths that matter. And does it create positive movement in your life? If it stops creating positive movement in your life, maybe it's time to go inward and like, look at my belief systems and be like, this is actually holding me back now. And it needs to change for the first 30 years of my life. It actually helped me, but now it's actually hurting me because circumstances change over time. So, um, you know, I think that from a biological standpoint, a lot of this happens not consciously and a lot of my identity building, like you said, it's like you had that experience with Fogarty and you didn't even realize you were like following this identity pattern until all of a sudden you're like, oh, wait, that is what I'm doing. And that was instilled in me by this person. When I look back, it's funny because like there's a bunch of people in my life that are like that. But then I realized even deeper stories did that for me when I was younger. So like Optimus Prime against Megatron like teaching me how to be like a positive male figure. I know it's so funny. The Ninja Turtles, (laughs) like I go back, I'm like, Oh, where like, am I getting these ideas that I need to be this kind of person? And it was all instilled in those kinds of things. And I was just, I gravitated to the heroic story. And that's the, you know, that's the self um, focused personality. Right. And, uh, and you know, I find myself at a point where, um, you become conscious of like your identity structures and it's almost like you put on all these breaks. You're like watching yourself act all the time. And I find that it's really challenging to, once you become conscious of it, it's like learning how to build it. And I find that you have to like go from the opposite direction. And so an identity, we do this unconsciously. So one of the identities I built was like CrossFit games athlete. I'm a, I'm going to be a CrossFit Games athlete, so I'm going to act like a CrossFit Games athlete. The problem is I didn't know what CrossFit Games athletes did. I just made up what I thought they did, and I followed that out. And if somebody told me different, how would they know? I know what they do. And so that was the problem I ran into. So what I have now is this kind of like cyclical approach of pick a direction that speaks to you, pick an identity that speaks to you. and and it's an iterative process. So it, you know, progress is definitely not linear. Um, it's kind of all over the place, but there's an idea that you can engineer it so that it spirals kind of upwards and loops. Um, I guess like in the military, it's the OODA loop, yep. right? The, the observe, right? Yes. Yeah. And so you can get like really technical with this and you can, you can go, okay, like what kind of person do I want to be? What, what do I want to do? Um, what kind of identities do I need? Okay, let me do some research on that. You do all your research. What does that mean? 
what do those identities actually do? What do they like? Okay, what is an entrepreneur? And what are entrepreneurs actually doing? What are successful entrepreneurs actually doing? Not this idea that's going around of hustle culture or like whatever, right? And then once you do the research, you create a plan. And once you do the plan, you execute the plan and then you know it's going to fall apart because you're not that person. If you were that identity, you wouldn't need to do all this work. You'd just be doing the thing. And so you wait for it to fall apart or you have uh, a cyclical time. So like weekly, you do a review. How are my action items doing? Am I executing the way that I want to be doing things? Am I doing the habits that I need to be doing? Because essentially, you know, identity uh, informs your actions, which are your habits, which informs your circumstances. And so, you know, you can work the other way, right? Okay. So that, that was my next question is which way is most efficient? Because I've had this chat with people recently as of like a, a few weeks ago and my habit building program starts traditionally started with let's work on the smallest, easiest thing that we can change now and build some momentum and some consistency with it. And then we'll start changing some bigger things. And then eventually it changes your identity of who you are. But then somebody recently challenged me and said, why not do the hard work up front and start with changing their identity? And then all the habits start to fall in line with who they are. That's like swimming downstream with the flow. It might be hard to learn to swim at the start, but you're going to get that momentum a lot easier if you change that identity first. So then my question is, what are the steps required to change that identity? So I think this is kind of a, this reminds me of the argument where it's like, what's the best way to squat? And um, it's like blue belt co- coaches try to fit people into the idea of a squat rather than trying to find the person's squat. Um, and I think in some sense, it really depends on the person you're working with. I think that they both could be viable techniques, but is the person that you're speaking with So some people are very intuitive, very like hippy dippy woo woo people. Right. And I I feel like those are the kinds of people that you could probably start with the identity piece. Okay. And, and kind of like get them to really work on like emotional connection to that identity, visualizing that identity. Um, you know, what, what that pattern might look like could be different, right? It could be, um, several times throughout the day, you're visualizing it or saying a mantra or, you know, I feel like that's kind of that approach is like building those mantras and repeating that to yourself daily and having those intentional pieces. Um, but I don't think that everybody's like that. You know, my fiance, my dog's like wiggling its ears a lot. So I apologize if you can hear the tags in the background. (laughs) My ADHD is like, keeps being pulled to my dog. Um, so my fiance, Sarah, she's a very practical down to earth person. And so for me to approach that from a standpoint of, Hey, let's change your identity. It would be like, what are you even talking about? Like, you know, she could understand it to a point, but it's almost like so conceptual to the point where you have to like map out the idea in the air and be able to like, see it real time and move those things around. That's very intuitive. Um, where for her, 
I really think that starting on the small actions and then working the other way, almost very, I mean, James Clear talks about this stuff, right? That's kind of his approach is work on the small actions, but he does talk about the identity stuff too. Um, so like, that's kind of a, I always feel like I cop out answers because I don't really think there's a yes or a no here. I think it's, it's more of a depends. It, it depends. It depends. Yeah. That's the answer, right? Yeah. And, and I think the answer is what is moving my client forward or what is moving me forward. Right. So I just wrote that down. I would say that if you have a client that feels stuck, like there is no progress, like they keep falling back into those old habits, then we need to have that identity talk first before we keep trying to keep changing these habits. Cause we're always going to fall back into those. I say we, and always, I, I don't mean that, but mm-hmm. the people that tend to get stuck most often, or the people that tend to fall back into old habits, that would be the next step is to not do more things, but to stop and reassess who are we? What are we trying to do here? What is it that you're trying to change? Why do you want to change that? What outcome are you looking for? Like, these are all big questions and they're not going to be answered in like a, a 30 minute you know, meeting with me. These are things that require some deep introspection and you're probably going to have to go outside somewhere where it's quiet, no technology. Like we need to get out of these artificial spaces so that we can actually get inside more because mm-hmm. we're technically inside too much. Yep. Totally. That's, yeah. That's, and that's the exact pattern that I find that, you know, I like the identity stuff. Uh, that stuff's sexy. Like I want to talk about that like right away, but most people I find personally aren't ready for it. Um, it was like me. So I always draw back to my personal experience because that's just who I am. Um, when I had this random idea, you know, when I was younger, I wanted to go to the CrossFit Games. That's what I wanted to do. I don't know why I wanted that. I just, it just popped up in my head and it was like, that's what I wanted to do. If you asked me why, it would just be some answer that wasn't actually thought through. And uh, so when I moved through my experiences, I was able to look back at some point and realize I didn't actually want to go to the CrossFit Games. I wanted to be a person like that. I wanted to be someone who has integrity, somebody who works hard, somebody who's um, valued, somebody who um, has capacity, I should say. And there's lots of different ways to express that. And um, so I had this idea of what I wanted, but as I started actually making progress towards that, I realized that's not what I wanted at all. And um, I think that's what happens with a lot of people, you know, whether that's somebody who comes up to you and is like, I want to be 6% body fat, you know, as, as coaches were like, sure you do, you know, but if I try to tell you that you don't want that, you're not going to work with me and you're not actually going to make any progress or you're just going to go off on your own, which might be the journey that you're supposed to have. But if I go, okay, that's what you think you want. That's fair. I'm going to have a conversation with you up front where it's normal to change your goals as you make progress towards them, but I will definitely help you in a safe way, make movement towards that goal. 
And I always say, you're going to mess this up. Like there are going to be obstacles that you don't see coming, come up in your way. And my job is to help you with those. And so whatever it is, it can be setting boundaries with people. It can be whatever ends up coming up. Let's have a conversation with it. There's no judgment. This is the process. I expect you to mess up because that's how it, how it happens. If you were the person you needed to be to have what you wanted, then you'd have what you want, right? Yep. You, wouldn't need, you wouldn't need help from me. And uh, so I just create a safe space for people to, to be vulnerable and talk about like, well, what didn't go right and, and take ownership of stuff and make new plans. And, and so, yeah, uh, you know, all of that to say, um, I always find that when they, they have that first, like, you know, this should be easy. I'm just trying to do this stuff. Why can't I control myself? That's that time where it's like, let's talk about identity. Yep. Why are you doing this? Why are you here? Why are you being called to this actually? Let's, let's peel the onion back a little bit. And then more movement. There's like a little degree of change in their plan maybe. And then there's going to be another one. And then let's peel it back some more, right? That's, that's the pattern that I've seen. But I mean, I'm still only... I've only been helping people with this stuff for eight to 10 years. So I still have lots to learn. Right. That's uh, yes. And that's something that I've noticed about you is that you're a, a lifelong learner. We, we both, I think, share that, that same quality. Um, never, never satisfied. Right. There's always, there's yeah. always something to learn. Um, I want to share a quick story with you though. I'm currently working with a client that you would know, all the way back from right out street. And I'm going to keep it, the names confidential, but yeah. uh, we recently shifted the goal here. So we would do these by uh, basically monthly in-body scans and through kind of figuring it out, we've realized that that's not practical. It's not, it's not conductive towards what he wants. And so when we started changing his identity to what he actually wants and it really was to start what we just talked about, that spectrum. He was focused so much on others and making other people's needs, you know, taking care of their needs that he was completely neglecting himself. So we just shifted it. We just took it and turned it over and said, you're going to now have the mantra. And I, he came up with this, not me. I didn't tell him this. He said, I am the type of person that takes care of myself first. And once he started saying that to himself, Boom. holy shit, yeah. like he, he started giving me examples because I asked for those. I want to know, all right, tell me how that happened. When did that happen in these last two weeks before we, uh, since the last time we chatted and I he love that. them off, bang, bang, bang. I'm like, there's evidence now you can do this and you're going to do it again in the next two weeks before we meet again. And that's. Man, that's how progress is made. That's Meet, exactly it. Meeting people where they're at and then coming up with your action plan. It's like, their method. It's their method. Right. I think you know this as well as I do that people know themselves better than we ever will. We'll never know them as, be, as well as they know themselves. They are in their own head 24 7, all the time. We don't know what they're thinking, what they're feeling at every point in the day, but they do. And so yep. you have to tap into their experience. The only way to do that is by asking questions. It's so interesting too, because 
people know themselves, but they know themselves in a vacuum. And so this is something uh, my, in my personal journey, again, I always come from my personal journey first is um, I didn't realize that I struggled with depression because it was my subjective experience. I thought everybody just walked through life like this. And then one day, uh, actually, when I was diagnosed with ADHD, another example of that, um, they asked me about depression. And then I realized that a lot of people come to me when they're feeling depressed and they want to talk. And I was like, that seems strange to me. I don't know why. Why is that? Why do people feel like they can do that with me? Because it's not like I talk about it all the time. Um, but I think in some sense, it's you can see when people have weathered that, you know, if you're going through it too, you can recognize it in somebody where um, I'm an extroverted person, but as soon as I get alone, that's when the demons come out to play. And um, I didn't realize that at all until somebody started asking me questions, right? Somebody did that for me. And I realized like, oh, this isn't normal. This is a normal experience for me, but I didn't realize that it's not like normal for everybody per se. Um, and I think in a lot of ways, that's what we do is just like create that safe space to help people be introspective and the medium is nutrition and fitness. Yeah. Right. And it's really nothing to do about nutrition. And fitness. Exactly. It's <laughs> the crazy part. They yeah. come to us for this nutrition. They think, right. That's the story that they've told themselves is that they think they need to work on their fitness and nutrition when really it's far from it. I find it boils down to, again, I mean, I don't want to project this onto everybody, but I've seen this pattern a lot and uh, not a lot of people walk into a gym because they love themselves. It's not say it's less right? than a percent. Yeah. And uh, if they have, it's because this isn't the first gym they've walked into usually. Right. right? Um, and I really do find when I boil down like my mission, it's like just help people move that dial from taking actions from a place of uh, lacking or, or negative self-worth to a place of, you know, life is happening for me. Um, I was gifted this existence by who knows what, you know, that's above our pay grade, but I am the caretaker of this body and it has talents, has natural talents. It has a personality that comes on board with it. And you have to figure out what kind of car it is and how to drive it and feel good and, and, you know, find your own meaning in your life. And that's really like, you know, taking positive actions um, as if you're somebody you genuinely care about, <laughs> which is hard. It's super, super hard. And um, that's why I think it's really just about developing your method and, and stopping comparison. Like you can look at what other people do um, to try things out. But at the end of the day, if it doesn't work for you, you're not the problem. It's just, that's not the right method for you. And I think a lot of people will think that they're broken. If the way they study for a test doesn't work for them or, you know, um, how they, they want to have a certain style of relationship with their partner that they saw on Instagram, but you know, like you have to figure out what your method is with your partner. Um, and the same thing with your nutrition and your fitness, like 
what does your nutrition look like in your life with your circumstances and your goals? And that's always changeable. You're, you have the power. Yeah. But yeah. I, anyway, every, usually things are on a spectrum. A lot of us like to put things in buckets, right? It's mm-hmm. either this bucket or that bucket. It's either good or bad, right? Yes. It's not like that. I talked about this in my, uh, in my speech that I gave last week about our nu- nutrition spectrum. It's not good or bad. It's better or worse right? There's a spectrum with how we do things. You can weigh and measure precisely everything. That's one end of the spectrum. And then the other end is the intuitive eating. Eat when you're hungry, stop when you're full and that's it. Right. And, but there's a whole bunch of stuff in between. And that's where I like to live because that's where my life is. Mm -hmm. I love living my life in between. So my, my diet approach is don't eat like an asshole. That's it. I don't weigh and measure everything. I also don't fall into the eat when hungry, stop when I'm full all the time. But I just know if I eat this entire bag of chips, I'm going to feel like an asshole later. Yep. So don't do that. And that's it. I think I'm a fairly healthy guy. I mean, I'd say. <laughs> I, I can still do pull-ups and, and body weight back squats. So it's all good. Right. But as soon as my performance starts to tank or I start to see a difference um, in how my clothes fit and just how I feel generally in energy levels, then it's time to move on that spectrum. So mm-hmm. my, my life, well, this happened just last year. I noticed I, I stepped on the in-body knowing that the results were not going to be uh, what I was hoping for. <laughs> so I was like, okay, this is it. I'm going to see. And sure enough, it validated what my thoughts were. Yep. Definitely up. So then I made a change and I moved up the spectrum. All right. I'm going to weigh and measure for a few weeks, get things back under control, recognize where I'm, I guess, being more lenient. And then cool. I'm back right back to where I was before and things are good. Now I'm back down on the spectrum to don't eat like an asshole again. So, mm-hmm. um, Ed, I'd like to hear your, what, how would you define resiliency? I always ask my guests this because I like to hear their take mm-hmm. and if it requires you to answer it by, by answering it with what's the opposite that also works. Cause I'm very interested in what you would say about that as well. The opposite of resiliency. Yeah. So actually I thought about this a lot and um, words are really interesting because they mean different things to everybody. And uh, it's important to get uncommon definitions when you have conversations. But for me, um, so I think people, think of resiliency as like doing hard work, things that are hard consistently. But I think that people also, and I I used to do this, was um, hard work. I didn't operate off of my definition of hard work. I operated off of the common definition of hard work that's out there. So like working out and like, eating healthy and doing all those kinds of things. But people would always be like, Oh, you're so consistent and like so hardworking and so resilient. You work out every day. But I was always like, this is easy for me. You know, this isn't hard work. I enjoy this. I'm a weirdo. You know, there's something about doing hard training that I just enjoy doing. And so I thought that was hard work for a long time because it felt good for people to say, Oh, you're so hardworking. 
<laughs> but the hard work for me is not that stuff. And it's all about my experience. What is the hard work for me? Well, the hard work for me was learning how to rest, learning how to recover. And that doesn't make me better than other people. That's just my journey. For some people, it's learning how to you know, work out and do the hard work and push themselves. It's that spectrum again. It's where do you fall on it? And you need some of the opposite of what you are, right? And so, and again, I, I'm talking as if like I know the answers here, but this is where I'm at in existence right now. This is what I understand that can change down the road. But um, so resiliency to me is having the courage to do the hard work over time and keep continuing to do that, knowing that you're going to screw it up, knowing that like part of the process is falling off the horse. And in fact, it's not about getting to where you want to go. It's about the process of falling off the horse and getting back on and like dialing that in. Right. And then you can go anywhere you want to go because that right there, that is the process of resiliency is, you know, can you get back up when you're approaching something hard? I don't know if that makes sense. That reminds, I've seen a quote about courage and it's very similar to what you just said. Courage is not having a lack of fear. It's looking at the fear and doing it anyway. Mm -hmm. But I think that has that, what you just said kind of has to come with some sort of self-reflection where you have to really, or a a self-assessment, you have Mm -hmm. to be able to sit down and truly assess what is it that's challenging me right now? Not, not forever, but in this moment, what is challenging me now and what's the hard work I have to do to change that? Mm-hmm. Is that kind of what you're, what you're getting at? Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's different for everyone. Again, if you're looking outside, you're usually going to think like you're again, you're, you're probably going to approach it in the wrong way. Cause yeah, we look at, you're going to look at Instagram and be like, well, those are all the hard things that I see people doing. So I should do those too. Right. And, and you'll see it too. Like you see it in the CrossFit space is a good example because CrossFit has so many different domains of uh, fitness. People all talk, all types of walks of life walk into the gym and genetically we predisposed to some of us are better at endurance. Some of us are better at strength. Some of us have long arms. Some of us have short arms. Some of us you some know, are terrible at handstand pushups. It's just, the way it is. <laughs> it's just the way that it is. Some of us have, Uh, hip sockets that are different than other people's and they can just never squat below 90 degrees. Right. And that's okay, but you'll never know what's optimal for you if you're trying to meet some other standard. Right. And I, I feel like people do this in all aspects of their life, you know, instead of figuring out who they are and then working from that standpoint, like, there's a lot of who we are that's flexible and that we have control over, but there's also a big portion of who we are that we don't, you know, and, uh, and finding a way to integrate that and make peace with that can actually help you move forward. And I think that for some people, that's a big part of their journey is, is figuring that out. I, I think for a lot of us, like even myself, I have a lot of gifts that I've been given, but I have a lot of things that I do not like about myself. And, uh, I think that most people are like that, I but agree. I, I don't know if that answers your question. I can't even remember the, the question. <laughs> yeah, no, it does. It does. It's uh, basically what's, what's your deference definition of resiliency that, that really, 
your description, I wouldn't say it's a definition, but your, your description is very clear and I think would make a lot of sense for, for our listeners here. Mm. I'd like to end all of my podcasts with the, the same question here. What do you have? Cause I always want the goal of this podcast is to not just have something nice to listen to. Yeah. Great. Ed King. He's a great guy. You should hear his story. It's great. But I want people to always leave this with something actionable that they can do. Mm-hmm. So what is your advice to people to become more resilient? Hmm. It's a good question. It's not an easy question. It's not. No. I mean, and, and my approach is typically one of like, understand yourself first. And so it's hard for me to just give blanket advice to people mm-hmm. um, other than know thyself. That's something that really speaks to me is you really understanding yourself will help you move in the direction that you want to move. Okay. So give me, give me a thing. What can I do to understand myself better? Yeah, of course. Yeah. So, um, pay attention to the relationship you have with yourself. And so what that looks like is what is your self-talk like? That is a great place to start and just journal it. You know, how did you treat yourself today? Uh, in times of high emotion, in times of rest, in times of you know, touch and touch base with yourself. What does that conversation look like between you and yourself? Is 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 are you a bully to yourself? Right? Are you too lenient on yourself? You know, what what do you think? And then have somebody help you interpret that because you're biased. You're always yes. going to be biased. Yes. Um, so that is a great place to start understanding yourself first. And then from there, that'll help you see where you're sabotaging yourself because we all sabotage ourselves. It's just how we work. And, um, and that'll inform you on, on how to make progress. I think. Love it. Know where you're starting from before you start heading out for your journey. It's like, yeah. if you're, you're looking at a map. You have to know where you're starting from in order to know where you're going. Otherwise mm-hmm. you're going to you're going to get lost real quick. Mm-hmm. And, and, and I think too, that like, it's okay to be lost, you know, what's lost and what's not lost. Like, that's just a human definition we put on things, just where you're at right now, sure. just accept where you're at and learn and, and be a part of it. And, uh, that's how you're going to gather what you need is if you're not present, if you're not here, you're not going to get what you need to move forward. So, um, kind of a woo woo way of saying it. Um, it's funny because yeah, story-wise, I don't even think like, uh, the coaching thing, you know, led to opening a gym and, you know, led through the whole COVID stuff and closing the gym. Now it's still working with people, but, uh, I really enjoyed this man. I would love to do this more often with you. So I was just about to say, I appreciate you taking the time to come. I, I do believe this is now a new record for the longest podcast I've ever oh, is recorded. It? I don't even know how long are we in? Uh, it could be close to an hour. Oh, okay. Yeah. But- so the longest one before that was just released last week. It was 46 minutes. So uh, congratulations. You are a new, a new title record, record holder. I'm a bit of a rambler. Um, All right. so. 
but that's great, man. I took a ton of notes. You, you gave me a paradigm shift today with that, that whole spectrum thing, the acts of service spectrum that, that kind of blew my mind and I'll definitely be using that uh, with some of my clients. So I appreciate that. Thank you for that. And like you said, we definitely have to do this again. I would love to have you on again because I think we literally only scratched the surface of of what both of us have to share. Um, It's been a pleasure, Ed. Yeah. Pleasure, man. I I really appreciate you. And and I appreciate you being a big part of my journey. I definitely wouldn't be doing what I'm doing without having people like you in my life. I mean, I remember the moment where I asked myself, can I open a gym? And like, I knew you, I knew that you opened it. I saw the process that you did of starting in the park and, and just chipping away at it. And it's okay for it not to be perfect at the start. And, and like that gave me permission in some ways to, to move forward and have the courage that I needed. So yeah, man, I appreciate you. And, and, um, and what you're doing is, is good work, man. Keep it up. Thank you very much. All right. Take care. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with others or leave a rating and review to catch all the latest episodes. Be sure to subscribe and I'll see you next time.